0: Morning. How are we doing today? This morning we are starting into a new series of messages uh, that I'm kicking off and it's going to be going for the next couple of months. We are looking through um, Matthew's, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is probably one of Jesus' most, uh, most famous sermons. Um, it's Definitely the longest group of, of like one sermon throughout the entire thing, uh, from start to finish. And, uh, and so we're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks, next couple months. I, but before we even get into to, to talking about the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's important that, that, that we understand the context of what's going on, um, not, not just for what we're going to be talking about today, but what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of months, because uh, when, when, when Matthew wrote the Bible, he didn't write it down in chapters and in verses. Those were added much later to help us find stuff in the Bible. Uh, whenever anything was written in the Bible, it was written as as, as a whole book. Matthew wrote it all down. Uh, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, many times we we make the mistake of just kind of taking one verse or one sentence or one chapter and thinking. Alright, well let's just read this and not look at what's all around it. It's important that we take the Bible as a whole. Because the Bible, it all tells a story. From start to finish, it's talking about how God is, is redeeming mankind because of our sinfulness. He is, he's coming to restore the relationship that was broken in the garden by Adam and Eve. And he's, and he's doing that through Jesus. Whether, we, whether you're looking in Genesis, or in Matthew, or in Second Peter, it's all about Jesus. The entire Bible. And so this morning, I think it's important that that, that we just kind of gain a little bit of context of what's going on here. All right, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaches a sermon on the side of the mountain. But before we even look at Matthew chapter 5, let's take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 25. This is the last last verse in that chapter. Uh, And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from. Uh, beyond the jordan all right jesus is out there he's teaching repentance he's teaching that the kingdom of god is at hand he's saying hey come to me repent and not only is he teaching them great things he's doing miracles he's healing the sick he's casting out demons people are amazed and so naturally he draws a crowd like if i were to do if i were to heal the sick or cast out some demons here on stage like people would start coming they would they would think oh well i need i want to see what's what's going on that's weird and they, it just draws a crowd naturally. And so Jesus had people from, it says, from Galilee and the Decapolis, which is Greek for the ten cities, um, from uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and, and beyond the Jordan. Like So he had a huge crowd following him. That, that's kind of the setup here. He's been, he's been wandering around, he's been preaching, he's been doing miracles, and so naturally he's got this huge crowd of people that's following him. So let's read verses uh, 1 and 2 in chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying. Now, before we get into anything that Jesus actually said, Jesus, it says that he saw the crowd. Um, Have you ever been somewhere? Maybe you're driving along, uh, and I remember doing this in the mountains. You'd be driving along, and then you'd kind of come, you'd turn around a corner, and then like all of a sudden there's just the most amazing view ever. and So you've got to pull over and whole family gets out and you take pictures in front of the panoramic scene. Anyway, so like you, you, you're going along and then all of a sudden you, you, you realize, oh wow, this is where I really am right now. Uh, I remember whenever I was young, my family, we lived in, in North Carolina. Uh, my sister went to Chapel Hill, for, she went to UNC Chapel Hill, and so I grew up loving uh, Tar Hill basketball, and so whenever um, my, my dad at first took me to a game... We, we lived about 45 minutes uh, from Chapel Hill. We got in the car and we drove and we parked and we got out and we didn't exactly know where the Smith Center was. So we started wandering around and we stopped and we asked this guy, you know, where, where is, where's is the Dean Smith Center? And he was like, all right, so you're going to go down this road, you're going to take a right and you're going to go down this hill and then you're going to see a, a building, a huge building that looks like the moon has landed on it. And I was like, as like eight year old, I was like, that sounds awesome. And so here we go, we're, we're walking, sure enough, we turn and then there, there it is. And I was just amazed at because like it did look like the moon was coming out of the top of that building. And so we 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 give them our tickets and we go inside and we're walking around inside and I'm I'm just taking it all in. I'm loving every minute of it. We're in the like concession stands and, and uh, souvenir shops. I loved it. And then we walked through the tunnel, right? And it was like the most beautiful thing that a little Tar Heel fan, eight years old, could imagine. I saw the floor. It was it was amazing. I, and it, it was at that moment, seeing the floor, seeing the players warm up, you know, Jerry Stackhouse and, 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 and that crew, I mean, so it was a good team back then, There, yeah, last year wasn't so good. Anyway, so but they're like, they, uh, <laughs> I was seeing the players on the floor warming up, and I was just amazed, and looking up and seeing the, in the rafters, the jerseys, hanging the retired jerseys, I, I was in awe. I, I, I knew, I, I loved being in Chapel Hill, that was great. I, I was in the actual Smith Center, but it wasn't until like, I walked through that I really realized where I was. This is where Carolina plays basketball. This is awesome. I loved it. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus was exactly like that, but here's kind of like a moment of humanity for Jesus where it says, seeing the crowds. Jesus kind of, he, 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 he noticed, he was like, look, look at all of these people. Now, he's not like me, caught off guard by that. Jesus, he understood what those people needed, He understood their stories. He knew what they really needed, and so Jesus gave them what they needed. It says that he he climbed up on the side of the mountain, and he began to teach. All right, He he, he knew exactly what these people needed, and so he taught them. Now, once again, before we jump all the way in here, um, I think it's important that we jump to the end of, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, let's read verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. In Matthew chapter 5, who was it that gathered to him? It was the disciples. It says that the disciples gathered around him. He sat down, the disciples gathered around him. In Matthew chapter 7, who was it that walked away astonished? It was the crowds. So who was Jesus really teaching to who was he trying who was this sermon for i think that Jesus' sermon was definitely for the disciples but it wasn't just for them it wasn't just for the people who believed that he was in fact the messiah the ones who believed that that he was sent from god i i don't think it was just for them Jesus' sermon was also for the skeptics it was also for the people who were there just because they heard that he healed some people I think that Jesus' sermon was for people who, who really didn't believe much about him at all. And I think the same is true today. That as we open, as we open the Bible, that, that Jesus' words, they're not just for those of us who are Christians, but they're, those us, they're for those of you who maybe don't believe that God's even real. If you've, if you've been a Christian for 30 years, awesome. Jesus' sermon, it's for you. The Sermon on the Mount, his words... They're for you. But if you're here this morning and you're a skeptic, you don't, you don't necessarily believe that God's real, maybe you have just questions. Okay, maybe you believe in God, but maybe I don't know about Jesus. What is that? Jesus' words, his sermon was for you. Jesus had no problem with the skeptics overhearing. And here at Freedom, we believe the same thing. We we come and we teach and 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 hopefully there's some training and some teaching and some encouragement involved to, to those to those Christians in the room but, but skeptics people who don't know don't know Christ who don't believe in God at all look we believe that this whole book is good for you too and so that's kind of the setup uh, for for this for this entire series it is Jesus teaching he's not just teaching to, to, to the disciples, to the people who believed who He was. But He was teaching to, to everyone in the room. And so we go back to, to verse 2. And it says, He opened His mouth and He taught them, saying... Now, what, what follows in the next however many verses, 3 through 12, um, there, there are these short statements called the Beatitudes. And these, these short statements start with, Blessed are the... And blessed are, are those who... And, and there's eight of these statements. And... um. And I don't know it, they're, they're called the Beatitudes, but I always grew up thinking that, that was really a funny name for it because I don't know what a B attitude is. It's really just to give you a little lesson, real quick. It's a, it's from a Latin phrase, and I guess Jake will correct me if I'm wrong on this. Um, "Beatus," and uh, that, that basically means happy or blessed or glad. All right, and so all of these statements are um, are pronouncing like blessings on. on these people who, who possess these characteristics, they're happy, they're blessed, all right. And Jesus, he he wasn't very Southern Baptist in his preaching. Um, he didn't have three points; he had eight points right here, and so because he didn't care if the race started at one, right? He didn't he didn't care if the other church lets out a little bit before us and they beat us to rocks. Um, so uh, we got eight things to go through. So let's let's pray, and then we'll we'll, we'll jump into into the scripture. God, I thank you so much for your word, and for the truth of it, and for how good it is, and for the fact that, that, that it's for all of us, even today. Lord, please speak to us and help us to see the simple truth of, of, of who you are and how much you love us. God, I pray this all in your name, amen. So Matthew chapter 5, let's read verses 3 through 12, and then we'll go back and we'll talk about them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for, you so, oh, for so they persecuted the prophets uh, who were before you. All right, uh, like I said, it's eight statements. If you were counting along, then you, counted, you, may, you may have counted nine. My, I would argue that the last three verses are all one beatitude. Okay, um, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let, let, let's just go through these one at a time. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When, when Jesus said this, uh, there, there's a similar sermon in, in Luke chapter 6. And either it's the same sermon uh, from a different perspective or it's a completely different sermon on a completely different time. But in that one, he just says, blessed are the poor. Uh, here he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is not a financial, a financial thing. He's not saying, happier are those people who are broke. Because we just know that's not true, right? Right? Maybe maybe we should still be happy even when we're broke. That's a different sermon for a different time. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So what does that even mean? And this this is what what I think it means. And, And I'll have to explain this just a little bit. But blessed are the people who realize and understand that they're spiritually bankrupt. All right, here's the truth. If you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ for your sins, if He's your Lord and your Savior... There was no way that you could pay for that. Like you didn't pay for that, you didn't earn that. There's no way that you can repay Jesus for that. Right? Blessed is the man who realizes that that, that he's spiritually bankrupt, that, that you can't give anything back to God, that his grace and his love for you, that's free. That, that brings joy, realizing that God loves us so much that he does this freely for us. That we don't have to earn it, and we don't have to pay him back for it. That, that, bring, that brings blessing and joy. And he says, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Not a future there, 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 there theirs will be, there shall be. No, right now, those people who are spiritually bankrupt, who realize that, that, that God's love is, is free to them, theirs is the kingdom of God in this moment. That's important. Next one. Blessed are those who mourn. Once again, um, <laughs> look, I, I, I don't think that he's talking about just people who are sad or people who are um, trying to sympathize with somebody and you know mourning over the loss of a loved one. I don't think that's who he's talking about. Because I think that here in America, we love to mourn over over things. Like my, my mom, she's not here, and I hope she doesn't listen to this. My mom, we had a cat... Whenever I was growing up, and that cat that cat was a wonderful cat. I loved that cat. I really did. But my mom really loved it. And that cat, she, he peed on everything, all right? Like, everything. He was a terrible cat, but my mom loved that cat. And that cat got hit by a car. My mom cried more for that cat than when relatives died. I'm, I'm not kidding. That is serious. We had a dog whenever I was young, and that dog's name was Bandit. Bandit lived to be 15. Um, in all of my days... Bandit lived in the garage. I never spent time with that dog. I never played with that dog. I would, you know, say hey to Bandit on my way out. Like, she, she was like, uh, and it was a she. It's a weird name for a she, Bandit. She was like tied to the to the basketball pole. And, and when she died, when we had to put her to sleep. Um, I cried like a baby. That's weird. Like, we, we mourn some weird things here in this country. Our pets dying. Which, I mean, pets are great. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. <laughs> But like we, we mourn things like, uh, like whenever your political party doesn't win, we mourn that. Like God's not in control. We mourn the fact that, that, that the Democrats are in control of the White House or that the Republicans or whatever, or that the government's just running this, everything into the ground. We mourn that and we, people get upset over that. God's in control. Look, we mourn some dumb things in this country. And I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think that, that, that what Jesus is wanting us to mourn is blessed is the man who mourns over his own sin. Who realizes that, that he is spiritually bankrupt and so therefore he is, he's mourning over his own sin which will lead to repentance. That's the idea. Mourning over sin, not mourning over a dog dying. Mourning because things aren't going your way. He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, it's important to note that here he uses some future tense. They shall be comforted. Not not that they are comforted right now. And and, and it's also interesting that that it's a present tense in the first beatitude, it's a present tense in the last beatitude, but in between, it's all future tense. It's all promises of things that are coming. All right? In Jesus, we have a a hope and uh, we have comfort. for today. But the ultimate comfort for our mourning over our sin, the ultimate comfort in that is coming one day. We don't have that yet. Jesus promises that in the future. So the next one, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who who lift up others' needs and others' wants and others' desires over their own. Put puts other people above themselves. Jesus says that they will inherit the earth one day. See, this really works with Jesus' teachings. He, you know, he says stuff like, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And he says to, to, uh, to, to, to serve other people, to, to lift other people up over you. To, to, um... Jesus teaches us to be meek. And so in doing that, I think that it's, it's just opposite of the way that we think. We think meek, oh, somebody who they they get walked on, they get taken advantage of. Somebody who, who's only concerned, or they're more concerned with what other people want and what other people need rather than what they want and what they need. Those people, they got a, they got a long road ahead of them because people will take advantage of them. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Those people, they're blessed. They they can find true happiness because one day, and this is opposite of the way that we think. One day they will inherit the earth. We think, oh, the ambitious; those are the ones who are going to receive it all. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And once again, this is not a physical hunger and thirst, but I think Jesus was intentional in using that kind of language because think about it: if you're hungry, what are you going to do? You're going to eat you to know, find something to eat. Uh, I'm living, I've been living with my in-laws for the last uh, couple of weeks, and they've got a son, Joseph, who uh, is in college right now. And and those of you who are a little bit older, you you look back at college and you remember, I used to eat, I, I, me, I used to eat all the time in college. I would eat just for fun. Uh, it was like, oh, what are you doing? Well, let's go out to eat. And we would eat, I, I remember we'd eat We'd go to Hardee's because it was one of the only places that was open 24 hours. And we'd go there at like 2 a.m. And I'd get like a half-pound thick burger. That can't be good for you, right? At 2 in the morning. And I would just eat all the time. So people, like in, in college students, they eat. They, they love to eat. And Joseph, he, he eats all the time. And not only does he eat, is he like college age and so he eats. He works out like more than I make fun of him. And it probably shouldn't. But he works out because I make fun of him because he's strong and he's got big muscles and i don't and so he works out all the time so naturally he's got to fill fill with those empty calories i don't know he's got to fill up some food he eats all the time and and he's gone to college now and so i know that his parents i know that jeff and kathy their, their grocery bill is about to be cut in half just because of that but um whenever he's hungry he eats Whenever you're hungry, you eat. I know that when Cliff wakes up in the middle of the night and he's hungry, he, he sneaks into the kitchen and he gets a bite of a, a spoonful of peanut butter and he eats that, alright? Whenever you're thirsty, what are you going to do? You're going to get something to drink. You wake up in the middle of the night, you're thirsty, you need, you'll get a glass of water. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Look, if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, then that's what you're going to pursue. Like, what would it look like if we, if we had a hunger or a thirst for the right things, for doing God's will, for righteousness. Jesus says that those people will be satisfied. Maybe not not satisfied on this side of heaven, but one day they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Once again, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, uh, is talking, and he says that the measure that somebody uses to pour out grace and to pour out forgiveness, that, that same measure is going to be used back on you. Okay? So if you are a very forgiving person, then you'll probably be forgiven a lot in your life. But if you're not very forgiving, huh? Maybe you, maybe you won't be very for, forgiven for so much. See the beatitudes; they're not exactly they're they're not a formula of how to be saved, but I'd say that they're characteristics of saved people. And so, in 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 light of 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 the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, now we have he's teaching this to these people. They didn't have the the advantage of flipping to the back of Matthew and knowing that Jesus is going to die on a cross. To, to pay for their sins. We know that. Knowing that Jesus willingly went to the cross, died so that you and I could be forgiven for our sins, knowing that, that His mercy and His grace was poured out onto us freely, shouldn't we be merciful? Shouldn't we show grace? Like that is one of the marks of Jesus' teachings, is to forgive people. Forgive. Show grace Show mercy. That is a mark of, of, of a Christian life. Forgiving. Blessed are the pure in heart. I love this one. It really kind of flies in the face of uh, the Jewish culture and the Jewish religion at that time. They were obsessed with, uh, with following the law, they were obsessed with cleanliness, they were obsessed with outwardly appearances. That everything had to look good on the outside, um, or, they, or, they, or you, you just weren't accepted. Now thank goodness we've come so far in this area, we don't really care what people think about us. We don't care if people see that we're messed up. Um, that, that's not true. We care totally about what people think about us. We definitely want people to think that we have it all together. We don't want people to know about our sin. We don't want people to know about our struggles. We don't want people to know where it is that that we just aren't all together. But Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. It's not about the outward appearance. It's about what's going on in the inside. It's about what's going on in your heart. Happy and blessed are the people who, who, who get that. Who realize that as, as you grow towards Christ, as he, cont- as he changes your life, as He changes your heart, the outside's going to kind of get straightened out. You don't have to put up appearances and put on airs for everybody, which is exhausting. Trying to fake it, trying to figure out, like, all right, now who did I lie to about this? Jesus says that blessed are the pure in heart. Those people, they, they, they get it. The things in, in your life, they they they're changed from the inside out. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now I think the Christians are pretty bad at this one. Um, I think that I think that for some reason the Christians just don't get this. I don't know, I don't know why. And, I, and I'm lumping myself into this category. We love to, to to start fights in the name of Jesus. We like to um, to argue with with each other within the church. And now we aren't a church that's got business meetings, so we don't see that kind. Of, like that's the stereotypical thing that, that at a business meeting, people claws come out and people start getting mean and bad stuff is said. If you grew up in church, and you know what I'm talking about, well, we don't have business meetings here at Freedom. If we did. That, that kind of thing would probably happen here too. I, because we are sinful people. People, we, we, we just, I don't know why, I don't know why, but we like to start these fights. Whenever we see somebody who's outside of the church and, and we, we disagree, disagree with the way that they're living, uh, a lot of times we're quick to to, to, to say that. Or that we, they, they disagree with us on the fact that there is a God. And we see that, on, I, I see it on Facebook all the time, where, Somebody just is questioning the reality of God and the questioning the presence of, of God in their life and how Christians um, they, they, they they see that and they take that bait and they swallow it up whole and they are typing away at it. I had somebody this this week, um, and I almost got into the conversation, but I think the Holy Spirit kind of kept me away from it. But we we want to we want to tell people, hey, look, you're wrong for the way that you think and you're wrong for the way that you're living. And I think there's a balance there, but too many times we're, we're, we're into onward Christian soldiers marching as the war. That's what we want to buy into. Neely, my daughter, two-year-old daughter, she's got a DVD where they sing the song, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Right? And I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm not saying that these are bad songs, but I just think it's important that we identify who the enemy is. Maybe the enemy isn't the homosexual community. And maybe it's not an abortion clinic or a liquor store opening up down the street or the people who are on Facebook just talking about how God isn't real. Maybe that's not who the enemy is. Maybe instead of making war on those people, we should realize that they're the ones who need to be rescued. They're behind enemy lines and we need to chase after them. Instead, what if we made war on our own sin so that we could more effectively show people the love of Jesus Christ? Make war on the sin that's in your life so that you can more effectively show people outside of the love of Christ. You can show them, look, having a relationship with Christ is an attractive thing, it's a good thing. Blessed are the peacemakers. Make war on your sin, make peace with those around you. That that shows them God's love. Blessed are the persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Once again, this is back to the present tense. And I think that Jesus goes present tense and then switches to the future. And then back to the present tense. Um, all for the purpose of saying, hey look, you're going to be persecuted for your, for, for your faith. You're going to be looked down on because you believe in Jesus. And sure, we don't face the same persecution that Christians faced in the first century. We don't. We, we, we really, it's nowhere even close. But people, people look down on us. People think that, we're, that we believe silly myths. That our Bible is nothing but a bunch of fairy tales. That we're stupid because we believe that, that a creator made this. That we don't believe science the way that they believe it. Although I would probably argue that science probably supports the way we believe a little bit a little bit better than the way they believe. The persecution that you face, Jesus says, don't cry about it. Don't say, woe is me. Blessed are those who are persecuted. It's not a time to get angry or a time to lash out. It's a time to rejoice because yours is the kingdom of heaven. You see, as as Jesus listed out these characteristics, I think it's so some of them are, are really attractive things. Like some of them, like I would like to ascribe to some of these things. Even if even if I didn't know that that that's like what, what Christians really look like. But this isn't the list that if, if you and I, if we were sitting down and being like, all right, let, let's list out the happy people in the world, the blessed people in the world. I doubt we'd come up with this list. We'd probably say, Blessed are the rich, because they can pay their bills on time. Blessed are the ambitious. And the successful, because they're making it in life. Blessed are the people who are outwardly all together. You've got that Facebook friend who everything they do is just the best thing ever. Everything they do is just so perfect. Like they take a picture and they put it on Instagram of their their lunch and it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But that peanut butter and jelly sandwich is better than yours. I don't know why. It's the best peanut butter and jelly sandwich ever. That's the list that we would make up. But I think as we look at Jesus' list of, of, of people who were blessed, of those, those, those people who were happy in this world, I think this is a freeing list. We don't have to have it all together. This stuff is attainable. Being a peacemaker? Being meek? Now that might seem opposite of the way that we naturally go, but, but yeah, I can let you go first. I think that this list is stuff that we can, we can actually wrap our minds around. Because what if I'm not successful? And what if I'm not rich? And what if I just don't have it all together? Jesus frees us from that. He begins this, this sermon on the mount by saying, Blessed. And he gives eight different examples of that. See, I think that that Jesus understood that people in his day and time, those people who were surrounding him, they were looking for happiness. That's what they were looking for. You know, they 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 lived under the Roman government occupying their homeland, so they didn't even have like a they didn't have all the freedoms that they wanted. They had to deal with things like robbers and thieves and, and droughts and famines. They were looking for happiness. And Jesus knew that. I think that Jesus, Jesus also knew that, that, that people 2,000 years later would be wanting the same thing. People pursue happiness at all costs now. They will abandon their family to pursue a career that they think fulfills them, that they think brings them joy and happiness. They will abandon a marriage and their integrity to pursue an affair. They will, they'll abandon their morals to make some money Not exactly the the best way. Not the most honorable way. Not the most moral way. People pursue happiness even today at all costs. And Jesus knew that was going to be the case. Look at those people who who are living far from God. I'd like to tell you that that their happiness that, that they're receiving in this moment. That it's going to fade away. I'd like to tell you that. And the preacher in me really wants to say, they're happy, that's only happy for a season. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I think there are plenty of people who, who live far from God, who still live happy lives. See, the truth of it is that God's grace, that, that He pours out onto all of humanity, He, he gives saving grace. So if, you're, if you have given your life to Christ, you've been forgiven by Jesus, then, then you've experienced Jesus' saving grace. But the fact that a steak tastes good, that's God's grace too. And everybody experiences that. God pours out common grace onto all mankind. People can love and be happy and enjoy things like food or or sex or relationships. They can enjoy these things. And that's God's grace. So these people who are enjoying this, they're, they're, they're seeking happiness and they're finding happiness in their lives. Maybe, but that happiness is only for this life. The, the blessings and the transformation and the happiness that comes through knowing Jesus brings joy in this life and in the one to come. See, the Beatitudes are a really diverse, really, really diverse group of sayings. And, and my struggle was trying to, to make it co- cohesive and to make it all fit together together. And I think the best way to do that is to say this, that, that my summary for the Beatitudes is that blessed are those who belong to Jesus. Right. This isn't a, a list of, of how to be saved, but this is a list of characteristics of those who belong to Jesus. And, and those who belong to Jesus, they find happiness. They find joy. Only through Jesus, only through growing towards Christ. That's what we try to teach you here at Freedom. Grow towards Christ. Grow in your relationship with Jesus. Only through growing towards Christ can you truly experience joy and the blessings that Jesus brings. Only through, through growing towards Christ do, do we experience peace and hope and grace and forgiveness. And so, to wrap things up, this is what I want to just kind of end with. This is a message of hope. The Beatitudes are a message of hope for all. If you're here this morning and Jesus Christ, like, you aren't a Christian. You would say, Yeah, I'm not a Christian. You've never really had much of an experience with Jesus ever. This is a message of hope for you. You can find true happiness for this life and the life to come, you can find true joy and true freedom. In Jesus. Christians, the same is true to you. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You can find true joy, true happiness, and true freedom in Jesus. Now to the Christians, one one last thing. Take a look at at this list. Does that describe you? Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker. Do, do those things describe you? My guess is that maybe some of them do, and maybe some of them don't. Only through growing towards Christ can 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 this become a description of you and I. And through through growing towards Christ, and through these things we find happiness. We find joy in transformation. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for um, this time and for your, your word and for the promises that are in it, promises of, of, of joy and blessings in today, but also promises of joy and blessings for, for the life to come. God, I as as we leave here uh, in just a minute, God, I, I pray that, that you would um, just let this let this let your word sit on our hearts, challenge us and convict us. Lord, encourage us. And God, my my prayer is that, that, that the people in this room would, would would leave here, would go to work tomorrow, and just live this out. That that the, the students in here who are starting school on Wednesday. They would they would go into their to their schools and live this out and show people your love. God, I thank you so much and I pray this all in your name. Amen.